Welcome to Keys to the Culture podcast. This is your hostess with the mostest, Maisha, and this is a place where we celebrate creators and entrepreneurs who are changing the game, who shape the culture around us and give relevance to the creator economy one post at a time. In other words, we're rooting for everybody black. And here we love to highlight amazing people who are doing great things. And our guest today is the epitome of a man who is doing great things, not only for his community, for his family, and creating a legacy. So we are talking about Ryan Morgan. Let me read up a little bit about him so you get a little backstory. Growing up in the gang-ridden streets of San Bernardino, he was sent to uh, federal prison for armed robbery at 19, which changed his life forever. Coming from an under-resourced urban community, he experienced the detrimental impact it can have on residents, and during his arrest um, for attempted robbery, he vowed to rewrite his story. He ultimately earned his MBA. He was released in his mid-20s. He did 12 years in, you know, American, uh, corporate America, where he has put his stamp on the beverage industry, and had a net, he was overseeing a net sales of $34 million. He launched a social enterprise, Aqua Equity, which is doing amazing things in our community. So help me welcome Ryan Morgan. Thank you, Maisha. Yes. It's it's an honor, privilege to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy that you're here because so many people need to hear your story. Mm. But before we dive deep into his story, Mm. I have one question for you. When did you know that black creativity was the culture? As a little kid, like you turn on the radio to see mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, uh, <laughs> just as a little kid, I mean, that mm-hmm. was one of the first things to take pride in um, being black is, yeah. you know, seeing somebody on the screen or hearing somebody, you know, on the radio uh, that inspired you and everybody was kind of, you know, I don't want to say worshiping, but looking mm-hmm. up to. So, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah I remember Mike. I remember Mike kid. when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's everybody's uh, go-to entertainer. Everybody has taken his sauce, you know, and remixed it, of course. You know, legend. but he's a legend, man. Yeah. Yeah, yes. and you are a legend too. You are creating some amazing things yourself. On my way. On you my putting way. your stamp. Got a lot of work to do. Oh yeah, we all do, but we <laughs> getting there. But you're doing it, and that's and I want to give you your flowers for that. All Thank the amazing you. things that you're I doing. Hey, it's your girl, Maisha from Keys to the Culture Podcast. Are you a creative building a brand and want to take your business to the next level? Then listen up, because I got some exciting news for you. One of the fastest ways to reach your target audience is to promote on Keys to the Culture Podcast. Why? Because we have some of the biggest names in the game, from musicians to CEOs to creatives and bosses of all kinds. So this is your chance to tap into our audience to grow your business to the next level. We work with small businesses as well as newbies in the game. So don't worry if you're just starting out. We got you covered. Are you ready to promote on Keys to Culture Podcast? Well, click the link in the bio to promote today. Well, we love to start from the beginning and give people a little backstory of who you are. Let's start with where you grew up. How was your life growing up? Mm. You know what? Uh, Looking back, when you're a kid... And thank God for this. A lot of times you don't realize what you're missing, you know, yeah. until you get these things that you didn't have, right? Until you grow up in, in kind of more an affluent situation. So um, when I was growing up as a kid in the 80s, um, mm-hmm. in the early 90s, it's sad but true. It was there was hardly any fathers around. It was mm. it was it was rare, very rare for any of my friends to have their dad in the home. 
Um, and, you know, we can get into that about the reasons. We know that there was, you know, purposeful laws to take fathers out the home. You know, crack, yeah. cocaine did his, did his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the violence from gangs took a lot of fathers out early. But so growing up with, without a father, it was normal. Yeah. But now that, I, that I'm a, a man and adult, I've realized that was a whole generation of kids, of young men and, and women, uh, boys and girls that were living abnormally. Yes. Right? Not having a, a big piece of the family there to help guide and, and lead yeah. and protect and, you know, give wisdom. So that left a void. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when you reach, my son is 11, and when you start to reach that age, 11, 12, now you're starting to wonder what a man yeah. is like. You yeah. know, what, 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 is a, what is a hero, you know? Yeah. Um, and so in San Bernardino, it's very much like Compton and Watts and South Central, yeah. and, you know, parts of Long Beach where it's the boys on the block, you know? Mm-hmm. That's who you seeing is like, you know, oh, everybody's looking up to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, the, those uh, examples were not healthy examples. Yeah. So it was much of that. And at the same time, there was like a dichotomy where one foot in sports yeah. uh, helped you excel in life and, and keep you out of some trouble. So I mm-hmm. was that kind of kid where I was really very good at sports. I was a great athlete, so I was always playing some type of sport. But, you know, living in the neighborhood I did, it was just natural. My cousins, uncles yeah. were in gangs. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you would gravitate to. So it was a lot like that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as you got older and not having a father in a home, how did it, how did it affect you mentally? Mm just a warped sense of what manhood is, really. Mm. Uh, and then the insecurity of trying to prove that. So you, yeah. you, you, you have a warped sense of what manhood is because you're looking at you know, the boys in the hood or you know, the men that are still acting like boys that are on the block in the hood that are older than you yeah. and the dirt that they're doing, but they got respect, right? They, mm-hmm. they're, they're commanding fear. And, yes. and so with this kind of warped sense of what manhood is as an adolescent, that's what you are seeing. Yeah. And I can remember, <laughs> as sick as this is, looking back, now I'm 46, but I can remember when I was a teenager, like, wow. aspiring to go to the penitentiary. Mm. Like, that was stripes. Wow. Like, that's, that, that helped me achieve more manhood. Yeah. That type of, you know, miseducation yeah. and mentality. So mm-hmm. not having a father in the home, you know, if you have a father in the home, he helped correct that and help mm-hmm. put you, nah, son, you know, you... you you need to excel at things that are gonna benefit your fa- you, your family, the community. Yeah. So there was a void of that type of voice, mm-hmm. big time. Yeah. And you know what I, I noticed too, like a lot of young men, because I grew up with a lot of brothers, mm. and you know my dad was not instrumental in our lives, but mm. he wasn't far to find. Mm. Like we can we can mm. go to my grandma's house and we can find him, but. Right. You know, just having conversations with them and some other young men in the neighborhood, now that they're fathers, they're making up for what their father mm-hmm. didn't supply yeah. them. They're making sure that they're in their kids' life and going to football games and having those conversations. And I think that's what a lot of yeah. young men are missing now. Mm. You know, the ones that don't, unfortunately, they don't have a father in a home. Mm. Um, and you see these things going on in LA, all these robberies that are happening, shoplifting. You know, what is your perspective on that, and what do 
the community, what can we do to put in place to help young men specifically um, to really get a hold on what's going on in society? Well, you know, part of the responsibility and blame goes to my generation, mm. right? I'm 46. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the generation before me, because something happened in the 80s where yeah. we lost as a people leadership yeah. um, of behaving di with dignity, mm -hmm. right? Like in the 60s and the 70s, you know, we had the civil rights leaders, right? And then we had um, black centered political parties like the Black Panther, you know, or the Nation of Islam. Nation of Islam still exists, but yeah. it was more prominent in the Black Panther, obviously, party was more prominent in the minds of black people. Yeah. And um, whether or not you subscribe to their political philosophies, they had leadership and, and represented a, a type of dignity, mm -hmm. right? Um, and at some point in the 80s, that was lost, right? Like, yeah. who, like it, just looking around at this room is a great job of putting covers yeah. from different uh, iconic people, celebrities, yeah. right? And they're all entertainers or sports. Mm -hmm. We don't have Malcolm X anymore. We don't have Dr. Martin Luther King anymore. We lost Nelson Mandela. Yes. So who's telling them? Yeah. Right? Now all the leadership is coming from the TV, the YouTube, the podcast. Yes. Uh, so um, what my hope is, um, is that you know one of these iconic celebrities, one of these yeah. black iconic celebrities, and I yeah. don't need to name no names, we all yeah. know who has that kind of power, that their heart is moved and breaks enough mm -hmm. to where, with sincerity, they link up with somebody um, in the streets, in the trenches, yeah. that is serving our people, mm -hmm. um, that doesn't have that platform that one of these black iconic celebrities, whether it's in music or in sports yeah. or on the big screen movies, has. Um, yeah. Because we're seeing the fruits of that void, right, with yes. this generation. Um, and they're chasing that bag. Mm -hmm. That's a whole nother topic. Yes. Uh, I'm a student of history and love history. Uh, one of the subjects I excelled in in school, one of the few subjects I excelled yeah. in, in school. And um, just recently have read The Keeper and the Guest. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of that book? I've never heard of that book. It's an Ethiopian history book. Mm. Um, have you ever heard of Queen Sheba? Yes. So it is a declaration uh, Ethiopian history book, ancient. Mm -hmm. They don't know exactly when it was written. They speculate around 150 AD, yeah. so antiquity time. So, but it chronicles the story of um, the monarchy mm -hmm. in Ethiopia and the dynasty that they had through yeah, ancient yeah. times and what they were able to achieve. And when we talk about we come from kings and queens as a people, we really do. But a lot yeah. of us don't really know who those actual people are, yes. were in history, right? We say, yes. oh, we come from kings and queens. Name them. Mm -hmm. well, this is a real queen. Her name was Makita, mm -hmm. queen of Sheba, 
which yeah. was a dynasty from spread from Ethiopia, Arabia. She was so powerful. She went to visit uh, King Solomon with a wow. whole caravan of jewels and spices that were, you know, from all over the world and luxury items and nobody robbed her. Wow. She went through Egypt from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. But this book, this history book, talks about that, and she ended up having a son with King Solomon named Menelik. Wow. It, it talks about in the Bible that she converted to Judaism mm-hmm. and brought that back to her people. She spent a year with King Solomon in Jerusalem, and this is in other books too. I'm a historian, so there's other books that you can read. Um, the book of uh, Jasher, and uh, this is in the Ethiopian Bible. Love but it. before I go too far on a tangent, I mean, so I recommend every African American to yeah. read the Kibra Neges. It will give you more of a sense of pride that is directly linked to history. Yeah. On us being kings and queens, and hopefully, these things are seeds and make you, you know think about like am I acting dignified like what you know mm-hmm. so I love that look you're gonna have to give me like, a list of books because yeah, I read I love books I love history that was mm. one of my favorite subjects too mm. so I can highly relate to that I love it yes. and you know Start we really keeping the guests okay I'm here for it we got to teach We've been our about people promoting our black women and celebrating our black women come on since history so like I, it kind of hurt my heart that I saw a lot of sisters joining the Me Too movement, and I get, you know, mm. being, I, I get where they're coming from, feeling oppressed. Yes. But to say oppressed by men as a black man made me feel like, really, has black men ever oppressed you? Like, we, we, we celebrate Ooh, our sisters. Now let's talk about that it. oppression is coming from the same white man as oppressing us. Mm-hmm. Yo. Yeah, because I'm 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 not a feminist, mm. and I did not subscribe to some of the ideologies that they were uh, associating mm. with the Me Too movement. And as a black woman, I can tell you straight up, like I've had strong black men around me, mm. men who are very Amen. protective, men who have always been there for me. So there's some things I could not relate to, but you know, there are some negative experience we, we go through in life and we experience, especially as women, you go sure. into these environments. But sure. I totally understand what you're saying. I totally understand what you're saying. I can relate to it. And you know, it's a subject that's very touchy, but at the same time, I think it has to be a communication between black men and black women. Mm. We have to start talking and mm-hmm. not going at each other's yes. throats. Yes, we got Because <laughs> what I saw, it was as a new Willie Lynch Mm. tactic to divide us. Yes. That's how I saw it. Yes. Right? Um, because as a student of history, my study serves me that Sojourner Truth tried to join this woman's suffrage mm. movement that Susan B. Anthony started, and she was barred because she was black. Absolutely. So, you know, African-American people, black people as a whole, the transatlantic diaspora, we got to stick together, but especially African-American folks. We cannot have our home and family divided on this uh, battle of the sexes that we didn't start. That's what I'm trying to say. See, now you're talking. Yes, let's go into that because I've been talking that with a lot of friends privately. We've been talking about the battle of sexes, and it has become 
like a, a hot topic in today's society. Mm-hmm. Every podcast is talking about it. Mm-hmm. We go on TV, they're talking about it. Mm-hmm. When we see images and visuals for campaigns, they don't look like us. Mm-hmm. There's no longer black men and black women on the campaigns. So we have to really talk about what the narrative is and how we're contributing to shaping that narrative mm-hmm. by going at each other's throat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, communication is so important because I love black men and I'm a safe place for black men. So we mm. talk all the time. I have we black. Need you, sister. Yes, I have Aisha, brothers. We need you. I have friends that are really close to me. I'm close to their wives, their girlfriends. And we just have conversations, mm. open conversations. And we may not always agree on everything, but we can have intelligent conversations and reach a resolve. Yes. So I think that's what's missing. It's more of a tick for tack, mm. and it's not really a conversation to resolve anything. Because if you look at it, they have any conversations, but there's never a solution at the end. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, I, I agree. It's a lot of like, you know, I'm gonna pay you back. I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna get one over on you. Right. <clears throat> That's not love. That's not love. That's a house divided. So yeah, you know, um, I'm really about looking at a holistic view of what's best for our people. Yeah. Right. You know, you get to a point where after you're you're coming out of uh, a hospital, right, where everybody's mm-hmm. sick or injured, and you you heal faster than the rest of the folks that you've all been in this hospital. Yeah. You know, I'm using an analogy. Uh, you formed relationships, bonds, mm. right? And maybe it was a cancer ward, and you beat it, and they're still in there. Now, would you just go on and live your best life and, and just forget about these folks, you know, and be able to fully in your heart enjoy life and not go back and visit, not... Pray yeah. for them, not do what you can to bring, you know, some type of goodness to their life. Because you just came yeah. out of that. You was with them. Yeah. So that's that's kind of, you know, my journey now. Because as you mentioned, I spent, you know, 12 years in corporate America. Straight out of college, got recruited mm-hmm. in the alcohol beverage industry. Uh, helped launch, you know, some of the biggest brands to this day. New Amsterdam Vodka helped launch that from scratch. Amazing. Um, spent eight of those 12 years in management, and along the way had a lot of uh, professional accolades, yeah. you know, which came from bonuses and came from bigger um, offices and bigger yeah. salaries, right, and, and more exotic corporate trips and these wine and dine you. But when yeah. I would go to our national sales meeting, and this was in the alcohol beverage space, mm-hmm. right? And we, we, we know there's a lot of exploitation, especially in the alcohol beverage industry. Yes. But, like, you know, I was kind of being rocked to sleep, you know, by what, you know, we had a, a corporate suite at Staples Center. It used to be Staples yeah, Center back yeah. then before crypto. So I'm like, you know, Drake concert, Kendrick Lamar concert, Lakers, mm-hmm. you know. But I would get, like, wakened up out of this days when I would go to a national sales conference in New Orleans or some Miami, 500 people, and I can count on my hand how many black men. Mm. Right, but yet we're trying to sell our tequila and our cognac to the yes. next Travis Scott yes. consumer. We'll, we'll hire some. You trying to figure out with well, one black man to speak monolith, monolithic? Uh, you know what I'm trying to Lithic. say. Lithic, yeah. Monolithic. <laughs> um, and so that you know, I was becoming disgruntled. Yeah. Because I was after you know, I stopped patting myself on the back, and I felt like you know what, man, they trying to like make me so content with all the luxury and all that that. I'm good here in my lane. Yes. Y'all got to figure out, I made it, you can too. Yeah. Nah, I'm trying to reach my hand, pull somebody up here. Absolutely. So, uh, in 2019, I had an opportunity. 
and I, it was really kind of before, in my own mind, my timeline, okay, let me five more years in corporate America. I'm going to stack my chips more. I'll be in a better position to yeah. help you know, my community. Yeah. Well, um, I ended up having to go to a federal mediation on some uh, kind of racism, corporate yeah. racism. Uh, yeah. I can't get into the details because we worked it out, signed the NDA. And, yeah. Uh, but I took that money from that situation and started Aqua Equity because I didn't see, I didn't have an, right then an idea or epiphany to leave corporate America. Yeah. I thought there could be another corporate type of uh, organization that didn't want to just make money, yeah. but want to make a difference. I didn't see that. So that is what led to the birth of Aqua Equity. I didn't want to leave the beverage space and was mm -hmm. looking for a vehicle in the beverage space you could use to make money, but let's make a difference. Yeah. And, you know, water is universal. It's one of the greatest needs for vitality in life. Yeah. Um, so that's the birth wow. of it, you know, to use water to help address the equity yeah. gaps. Aqua yeah. equity. Water is life. Water is life. So giving life back to the yeah, community. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And with and with Aqua Equity, there are so many things that you guys are doing in the community. Mm. Can you just name a few things that you guys mm. are currently doing? Yeah. And what actually is going to be happening uh, soon okay. as well with the brand. So we work with uh, select nonprofits. Mm -hmm. um, and our, one of our main partners um, is Think Watts. Mm -hmm. And so we started linking up with Think Watts during the beginning of the pandemic, and it came organic. Just um, in Watts and Compton, they had a bunch of elderly folks that couldn't get to the stores in time wow. and get bottled water. And there was a member of Run in the stores yeah. with bottled water. It was all, all gone. Toilet paper was all gone. And in Watts and parts of Compton, the tap water is no good. It's yeah. that, that Flint, Michigan problem. Comes out with lead and all cloudy. So that wasn't an option. So we were getting calls from the neighborhood council who was already um, working with Sticks and his nonprofit, mm -hmm. Think, Think Watts. If we could donate our water, he had a clipboard of like hundreds of homes around Watson Compton, wow. literally with the addresses, the names. And he got don He's a vegan and he got donations from Beyond Meat Burger and yeah. um, I want to give credit to the cafe that cooked up the burgers, but he got a, a, a burger joint to cook up the Beyond Meat Burger. So we had That's cooked amazing. burgers. We had like 12 cars. We loaded up each car, the trunk with Aqua Equity water with, with burgers and we just started um, doing food distributions and it, yeah. and it started to evolve. So that was our first kind of community service um, avenue was being involved in food distributions. Mm -hmm. And then we started doing it in Nickerson Gardens every, every week. And then we, uh, you know, saw, you know what, we're we giving out fish, but we need to, you know, teach them how to fish yes. and teach them how to build a fishing pole. Yes. So then in 2021, uh, we, we launched and facilitated our first entrepreneur training program at the STEM wow. lab in Nickerson Gardens. Amazing. So we did a, a session in uh, uh, fall of 2021 mm -hmm. and uh, a session in the spring of 2022. Um, and so we gave out, uh, it was a project-based kind of entrepreneur program where their innovators are taking, you know, concept to creation on a pitch yeah. deck and a shark tank type of environment mm -hmm. uh, for a grant. So we had like a $3,000 grant up for grabs wow. for the winter. Uh, we had guest speakers, entrepreneurs to, to help, you know, make more enriching 
Um, so we continue to do that, but we have pivoted and we realize we can let um, Think Watts do that yeah. better. They're connected through MasterCard with other financial literacy programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we support Think Watts, and they um, just did a financial literacy program that wrapped up uh, last last month in September uh, at the Beehive. Wow. Was where we're doing this. Yeah, and um, so we do that. Uh, that's going to kick off again in in the spring. Uh, we're involved in food drives. Uh, tomorrow we'll be in Watts at Ted Watkins Park with Think Watts. Mm-hmm. We'll have our own tent and booth there. It's uh, they're having their inaugural Hispanic Heritage mm-hmm. Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, in the leadership team of Think Watts, it's a black and brown organization. We know um, LA is a black and brown city. Yes. So he has two uh, strong Latina women yes. uh, help on his leadership team. So it was time to have uh, a nod and and you know a hug to our Latino. Tino brothers yes. and sisters. So this is the inaugural Hispanic mm-hmm. Heritage Festival at Ted Watkins and Watts. Um, beyond that, what else are we doing? Oh, I, I like to mentor. I get invited to be a guest speaker at uh, certain universities or schools. So I uh, had the invitation from LMU this year, and I'll mentor one of the brothers there. And then uh, I'll be speaking at uh, St. John Bosco. They have an entrepreneur yes. program. So I know I'm forgetting a lot. Um, but our main three pillars is community, uh, environment, and education. Oh, the cleanup. So we organize community cleanup. Mm-hmm. So obviously us being in reusable, uh, sustainable yes. aluminum packaging as opposed to single-use plastic is yeah. you know, part of our nod to the environment. Uh, yeah. And then we organize the community cleanups because you know, yeah. the city, it, they don't do enough. God bless them. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys are doing amazing things. Thank you. Which is... Um, inspirational it's motivational mm. and it's it's moving in action and mm. you know instead of just talking about it you guys are actually moving mm. in action and making a difference but I really want to take people through entrepreneurship because yeah. you know there's a lot of people this word has been thrown around especially during the pandemic there's been a surge of entrepreneurs which I love it I mm. love the fact that mm-hmm. but you know when we start off on our journey in entrepreneurship some people just don't know what to do mm. You know, let's walk through the journey of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. What what did you need to know yeah. to build your company? And if anyone else wants to build a, a beverage company of any sort, yeah. like what are some key steps in doing that? Well, I think it, it's really beneficial to qualify, and I'm speaking generally, right? Black entrepreneurship is a lot different than other cultures entrepreneurship yes because we have the hardest time as a people in this country getting access to capital say it again access to capital yes like the greatest ideas you hear about ideas like elon musk had and like oh he's a genius yeah he's that but there's a lot of black geniuses but believe me in his family relationships and his education relationships is uh orbit there was people that he could go to yeah with his idea to angel invest and give him seed money of a million dollars or yes. more to get going right mm-hmm. um a new business doesn't make money for a length of time and that's yes. called a cash burn and most black entrepreneurs black and brown too yes uh don't have that type of significant startup money to make the business go right yes um, and we do what's called bootstrapping. 
in mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. So being a bootstrapping entrepreneur is a whole different road than being an entrepreneur that has the access to VCs coming out of Yale or Harvard and you can get into these rooms and yes. pitch your idea don't even have a viable product yet. Yes. But you got a good PowerPoint and a good idea and you're telling a story and they boom, write yes. you a check for five million. Yes. Starting off as an entrepreneur with a check for five million is a way different path, right? You can Absolutely. take a lot more risk. You can afford to incur a lot more losses and setbacks and recovery yeah. because you have capital that can help make up for those mistakes. When you're a bootstrapping entrepreneur, like most black people, any mistake you make is magnified more because you don't have the same capital to recover from that. Mm -hmm. So I just want to qualify the journey of black entrepreneurship versus other cultures. Even um, my um, brothers and sisters that are Semitic folks, you know, you're talking about Syrians, Arabians, they have wealth where they can come from their own country here mm-hmm. on a visa or here temporarily, got a loan from somebody in their own country because yes. they want to see them in that country come succeed and make the American dream and pay me back yes. when you make it. You know, we don't have that. You yeah. know, we can't go to somebody in Nigeria and be like, hey, cousin. Come on. You know, I'm over here in L.A. You know, you, you, you tapped into the oil fields in Nigeria, so invest... So it's just a, di- a way different journey. So yeah. when a black entrepreneur makes it from bootstrapping, it should be celebrated way more yes. than what we know that gets all the headlines that's celebrated because we start out with way less. We're making a dollar out of 15 cents. Absolutely. And a lot of us use our own finances all yeah. the time. That's what we, you know, we go into work, <laughs> we take that money, reinvest into our business, our idea, yes. and trying to make that happen. Yes. So you know. with all of the success that uh, Aqua Equity has been having, this is one of the brokest times of my life mm-hmm. because, and this is not a, a sob story or anything, this is just part of the journey, right? Yes, it is. I know the best is yet to come, right? Absolutely. And this is just, you know, you got to go through that desert before you get to the oasis. Speak life. So with black entrepreneurship bootstrapping, you're using your life savings, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're using your credit cards, yes. right? Um, and whatever kind of money that you can get from your network, which they say yeah. is your net worth. Yes. And you're trying to make that thing go. Now, um, what happened with us, so we launched in March 2020. Oh, wow. Then the pandemic hit, right? Yeah. And there's certain things that the entrepreneur, you do your best with a SWOT analysis. You yes. try to identify strengths, weeks, the opportunities, the threats. Yeah. But there's things that just happen in life you cannot plan for or see. Who knew a pandemic was going to come and shut the we world did. down, right? <laughs> yeah. We launched with a business line of credit from Chase that has yes. a 12-month interest-free expiration, pandemic Ooh. or no pandemic. So by the time we were able to really start using that business line of credit, now we got this high interest rate, 18%, to start paying that line of credit yes. back. That's our little bit of capital to use. Uh, which we would have had 12 months to use it interest-free if the pandemic wasn't hit to make things go. So that, you know, in itself was like, boom, it blew up our route to market. So we just had to, okay, let's focus on what's in our control, Mm -hmm. control the controllables. Mm -hmm. What can we do to amplify the brand and kind of get the most we can in this opportunity situation? 
And so we got more involved in our social work and, and used our product donations and put that into our marketing bucket. We don't yeah. have dollars to spend to advertise on Instagram or YouTube or this or that. Yeah. Uh, but we serve the community and we're not going to be foolish about it. We need to capture what we're doing so we can connect Smart. potential followers and, and customers that can't get to Watts yeah. and Compton, especially during the lockdown, but yeah. want to be a part of this. And maybe they'll buy Aqua Equity to help us keep doing more. Yeah. So we donated in 2020 alone $25,000 worth of product. It's pallets on pallets. Yeah. Like I said, it, it, there was a need in the calling. Absolutely. And when you're an entrepreneur, especially bootstrap, I don't know how anybody can or would without some type of faith Absolutely. in a how, higher power because Let's there are so it. many unknowns and variables out of your control that there are gaps between what you have and where you need to go and you need a bridge and you don't know where that's going to come from. If you don't have faith, you know, I don't know how you can do it, but I would have folded a long time ago. Yes. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, so I'm Come on my on. knees every day. I need a, I need a boost. I need emotional Come boost. On. I need, like, a, I see other people making it. I'm like, man, when, when, when's our season? But Come on, Jesus. Yeah, you, you, you have to have some type of faith. Otherwise, you holding everything close. Like, yes. I can't afford to give this. I can't afford to do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have to believe that uh, you sowing seeds, right? Farmers Come have a lot of faith because you Listen. sowing seeds and you, you, you're doing your thing to water in it. And as an entrepreneur, I like to use a farmer's analogy, right? You, your vision and your business plan is kind of like you sowing the seed. And then, yes. you know, then you go work that plan that, that you wrote out. Uh, and that's kind of like watering and fertilizing, right? Yes. And you're promoting the brand, right? You fertilizing it but you don't know as a farmer if you're going to produce a crop you don't know if locusts are going to come and eat that crop you don't yes. know frost or mold right you yes. got to have a lot of faith to produce a hundredfold harvest and that's yes. what we're trying to do as a successful black entrepreneur because you starting out with 15 cents trying to make a dollar that's a hundredfold harvest yes. right so it takes a lot of faith so part of my uh encouragement or or advice to uh, bootstrapping entrepreneurs um, would be you need to have some faith, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to have a, a, a team of folks, and your yes. team could be as small as three other people, two other people. Uh, I would say at least two other people, so you're a group of three uh, that are with you on the vision. And you, if you don't control that, then you don't control that, right? Yeah. But if you have access to that, that is valuable, Right, you need that team because you're gonna have lows emotionally. You need a yeah. reminder that no, you got this. You yes. you on your way. Look what you're doing. Don't give up now. Yes. You need some encouragement, all right. Um, and then on a practical level, you need a good credit score. Yes. Because that good credit score is something that you can help control before you launch into entrepreneurship. So if you got bad credit now, you need to do the things to improve your credit, because as a bootstrapping entrepreneur, a lot of times. What we have access to, if you have good credit, is you can get a business line of credit, right? Mm -hmm. So that might be 10000 it might be 20000 Depends on what your personal revenue history is. They're going to look at your salary, yeah. you know, deposits in your personal bank mm -hmm. account and combine that with your credit score, and they're going to put that in their formula of, you know, risk ratio and give you a business line of credit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, like with our case, depending on the bank, it comes with a 12-month free interest rate they yes. want you to use that to you know promote your business so where you can start generating revenue you can't get that business line of credit without at least a 700 credit yeah score. 
Yeah. Right. I didn't jacked up my credit score now. It's probably like five <laughs> seven because you know I had yeah. maxed out all Listen. the credit cards to make this thing go. But you know I was able to get access to a business line of credit yeah. because at the time my credit score was like a seven ten, mm-hmm. which is decent. But as a bootstrapping entrepreneur, it's it's really uh, grants. Yes. Micro loans, so there's CDFIs. One of them is a, a Black Cooperative Investment Fund. Mm-hmm. There's Fund Black Founders with Drew Holiday. Yes. Um, he's funded several black businesses around LA. South LA Cafe's been one. Prosperity Market is another one in LA. Yeah. Black businesses been funded by Fund Black Founders. So you're looking at a business line of credit. Uh, so whatever money you have on, on top of that, business line of credit, 700 credit score or better. Mm-hmm. Um, grants. So there's LA County grants, city county grants. So we, we uh, are up for economic opportunity grant from LA County now. That's yes. 15,000 in phase two. They all have different various amounts, but these are things that you're going to have um, for your business um, yeah. as opposed to other affluent entrepreneurs that start off with you know a million dollar check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of, listen y'all, it's, it's not easy. I can tell you from experience because I'm I'm actually in the startup space as mm-hmm. well. Um, I have a mobile app called UCrowd, mm. and just being in that space as a black person, a woman, and then you go into these rooms and you're pitching, and it's a sea of white men. Yeah. So you know that's what a lot of the startup space looks like. Mm-hmm. So when we have representation of people that look like us and really, really trying to make a difference, especially with a strong brand like yours, we have to fully support. And our community has to yes, we do. support in whatever way they can, whether that is sharing, whether that is helping them with partnerships, buying the product. Yes. Like it takes a it takes a community to make a brand yes. grow. Yes. And you know, I'm in marketing too. So from my experience helping small businesses or startups <clears throat> is really looking at their brand and seeing where the greatest need is mm. and trying to give them the best resources mm. they need. And that's what we need a lot mm-hmm. of times. It's just the small little things that you guys can do. Everybody can be involved. I think we're going to get there as a people. We, we have, mm-hmm. the, the it, like, everything is set up for us to make a big economic shift as we a can. people in, in terms of supporting yes. black business. Um, and so, w- w- you and Mice, you hit it on the head. When we mm-hmm. do that, we are one of the biggest consumer spenders as a people in America. It's we spend trillions. more per Trillions. to our detriment right yeah. now because we spend more per capita than any group. Yes. We we have the least amount of discretionary income. That discretionary income means after all the bills is paid, off the after all the things that need to be paid, I got money left over for what I want. To yeah, pay for, right? Absolutely. We sh- we blow that thing up. I'm like, nah, I want this. I'll figure out how to pay for it later. Yes. Now, one of the things that when I said we're close to crossing over, I think, um, I think this could be within the next ten years, um, is if that's how our people's behavior is, right? Yeah. How can we make that work for us instead of like shaking a finger? Oh, that's bad. You guys yeah. need to do better on how you spend. Okay, maybe that's true, but not willing to hear that right now. Yeah. We want some success because we've been grinding as a people, and yep. that's the way we feel better through material things. If that is the case, then we need to look at the material things within our own community. 
Why are we there sending money to yeah. Italy and France for Gucci and Louis Vuitton mm -hmm. as if there is no black luxury designers that we can yes. spend that money for to feel good and get that bag? Come on now. I told you I'm a student of history. If any, you read that Keeper in the Guest, you'll think twice about buying Gucci. You, you, you think twice about, I mean, I mean let's just let, talk real quick on history. It wasn't too long ago. Italy invaded Ethiopia. The last Hello. emperor in Africa was Haile Selassie. He had to leave Ethiopia in 1935, and, and run for his life, you know. So that wasn't that. That's that, you know what I mean. But yet, you you know, we forget the history that, like I said, that was one of the strongest monarchies of us being kings and queens, and we say yes. that all the time about ourselves. So why would we patronize? And I ain't yeah. trying to blame Gucci, but you yeah, know, Gucci yeah. been around for hundreds of years. They tied into that whole regime Come that on. did that. So it's just like, you know, what other people in the world, right? Could you imagine Jewish folks that feel some kind of way about the Holocaust, mm -hmm, bigging mm -hmm. up Volkswagen or bigging up Porsche, or big, you know what I mean? It just yeah, it don't make yeah. historical sense. I understand. So I think we're close to waking up on yeah. that. And it's going. I think it's going to take an iconic uh, celebrity, either in the you know athletic space, a professional athlete, or the yeah, entertainment yeah. space. Yeah to help send that message mm -hmm. where we don't celebrate that no more because right yeah. now we still use that as a as a, a badge of an accolade. I made it in this world. Look at my Louis. I made it in right. this world. Look at my Gucci. Come on. As black people, when we you know your history, it, it just it's 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 and I don't want to like I'm not above nobody, right? Mm -hmm. I just have acquired mm -hmm. some historical knowledge that makes me see yeah. our spin different and things that we do as a people to self-sabotage yeah. us and keep us down when we could rise up. We have that ability. Yeah. We close. When we start saying, you know what, as a people, we're not following this brand no more mm -hmm. until they get right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did something 100 years ago, but they never made it right. You're right. So when we, when we take that stance as a people, because this is all, our, most of our oppression and our problems are economically rooted. Yes. Slavery was an economic thing. Yes, the whole Jim Crow was to suppress us from taking uh, economic positions of power in corporations and leadership. Mm -hmm. So we can solve a lot of our problems as a people through economics and just being yes. wiser and smarter. And you did mention Willie Lynch a little mm -hmm. earlier, economic Willie Lynch syndrome. Mm. Explain a little bit of what that means. I don't know if everybody knows who Willie Lynch is and what that well, is. Well, let's let's go into a little history lesson what Willie Lynch is and yeah. the concept or if this is really a person. Yeah. Because there's been some speculations. It wasn't a real person, but no, it was he wrote a, a book. concept. No, he right. wrote a playbook. No, he was mm -hmm. a real person. He, yeah. he was a slave master in Virginia. And now and I, I haven't read up on Willie Lynch and his history personal. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I believe it was in Virginia. He had a plantation. So if mm -hmm. I got the state wrong, don't hold that against me. But he was so successful in how he ran his plantation in the control mm -hmm. of his slaves. Yeah. And you remember the average slave plantation, it was at least 100 to 1. Yeah. 100 slaves yeah. versus one slave master. And he was right? in the West Indies, too. Well, no. So what he did was... Mm -hmm. He he wrote this book. Now he now he did go to the West Indies because the mm -hmm. West Indies had the most savage kind of plantations yeah. in Jamaica. Yeah. And, uh, they they used uh, rape uh, and homosexual rape yeah. in order to really create terror in, yeah, in the folk. Yeah, they yeah. would get the strongest black man 
you know, out of the yeah. group and rape him in front of everybody. Mm. Um, um, so what he did, Willie Lynch, was he wrote a playbook on how to control your slaves, yeah. right? And it was, Mice, you might be right. He, he might have had his plantation uh, in West, uh, excuse me, in the West Indies, and then mm -hmm. he went to Virginia to, but he basically traveled yeah. around. He was like a celebrity mm -hmm. with this book and playbook, and it, it talked about how you control your slaves is you divide them up, yes. right? You, you, you create division. You don't want unity with the slaves. You know, they already took away things uh, that in create intrinsic unity, like the language, yes. right? Cultural celebrations, religions, things like that. Mm -hmm. But then it went further and said, if you divide them up versus lighter skin and darker skin, yes. versus hair texture, coarse versus not as coarse, versus uh, nose width, and just different ways you create yeah. division. And, you know, we Man hear about the... Women. The, the yes the the field slave versus the the, the house nigga right yeah. to create uh, envy and jealousy and it was so shrewd that they they knew okay if we can create almost like a class yes. in within the slaves right so one slave feels like my life is a little bit better than these other slaves mm -hmm. they will be a buffer for us against the slaves the majority of them in the field that revolt. The slaves in the house that have a little more luxury will act as a buffer yeah. and let us know if a revolt is coming or help suppress it and yeah, ally yeah. with us. So that's like the premise of the Willie Lynch is that you divide up those that are oppressed and then you let a certain segment of the oppressed get some benefits yeah. so they act as a class separate uh, yeah, uh, yeah, than yeah. the rest of the oppressed yeah. and uh, is a buffer. So how does that mirror what is going on today? So a lot of uh, what you hear is like the chase of the bag and the chase of the almighty dollar and money, yeah. right? And then there's a tie of individuality expression mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. And, you know, on the surface, uh, that's not bad, right? Tra chasing prosperity. It seems yeah, like that's yeah. what it is, right? And then expressing yourself so you're not just lost in the masses, you're not just a number, right? We're all special and unique. And yeah. So on the surface, that's all sounds good. Yeah. But what it really is to do is to try to create some type of disengagement of the suffering of your people. Because if you can get somebody to say, you know what, I want to separate myself from the herd of my folks, right? Yeah. And I want to express myself individually, and I'm going to do that through material things, yeah. right? And that's going to help me feel better, right? Yeah. I don't want you know, bring my vibe down. No, yeah. I don't want to be up. I want you know. That is okay in a affluent community, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you come from a group of people that are struggling, that are the oppressed, that need yes. to break free from bondage, yes. you are abandoning your people, so to speak, right? Yes. And it's a it's a type of self-centeredness, yeah. you know? Um, I, but I understand it. Yeah. I, I, I understand. I understand wanting to express yourself individually. Um, but I just think, again, we because we don't we're not owners of of, of things so yeah. even like some of the best black brands they don't own the factories making the brands that's true so that brand could disappear anytime 
Absolutely. We're having a FUBU. I mean, I know trends come and go, but like, so if FUBU had a factory, they they could be making some other designers out of that factory. Yeah. So we don't own like the equipment and the machines and the land. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like crop sharing. It's a new age yeah. crop sharing. Ooh. And, and so the path that Aqua Equity is now on, because and we've had a lot of aha moments. Yeah. Is so we we saw that like our cost of goods was way too high because we don't own a factory where we make this mm. right and when we got into a aluminum bottle we just assumed more factories would be available so that we could say you know what we don't like your price we can go over here yeah absolutely. there's only like five producers in the whole country that do aluminum bottles wow yeah and there's only a couple makers i'm sorry of aluminum bottles in the country right so there is kind of like a monopoly on it. And now our aha moment is like, that's an opportunity. We need to have our own factory. Absolutely. So that way we can connect with the, the Haitian brothers and sisters, farmers in Haiti and get some coconut water that we yes. got from Haiti and we're giving back and supporting that transatlantic mm. diaspora economics, you know. Um, you know, we can get some uh, sugar cane from Jamaica or Blue Mountain coffee from yes. Jamaica. You know, there's, there's things that we can do with the... Uh, our own bottling facility and pivot away it. and do more, not pivot away, but do more than just a brand, yeah. right? Make actual things, yes. you know, not beyond just stamp your label on, you know, a factory. Yeah. So. I love that. It's beyond the brand. Mm -hmm. it, it's much more than just putting water in a bottle. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really moving into action and making a difference in our communities and our extended communities to our brothers and sisters overseas mm -hmm. and connecting to black nations, mm. which is really Absolutely. important, right? That, that's my big vision is, you know, I hope with the success that comes to Aqua Equity and our vision to um, get more in the beverage space we're starting yeah. in all different types of beverage, but to look across what makes sense in the beverage space that we can do to uplift economics for the transatlantic black diaspora, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And we come from, as a black people, in that transatlantic diaspora. So you're talking about Africa, the Caribbean, here. Yeah. These are the, some of the most rich natural resource areas mm -hmm. in the world. Um, like all the technology with the uh, smartphones and flat screens, the uh, fiber optics, optics that's in mm -hmm. there has um, metals that only come from Africa, the three T's, mm -hmm. tungsten, titanium, and tin. Come on. That's just one commodity. Coffee. The birth yes. of coffee was Ethiopia. Yes, Cocoa. I mean, there's things, like, as black people, we should be having more of a, a corner hold on, mm -hmm. but we don't. But now with the knowledge and, yeah. you know, kind of spreading that word, that's the idea is to build up this kind of self-sufficient black economics through entrepreneurship and yes. see how we can solve our problems um, in the community through economics. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that. Make money, make a difference. Come on now. You are amazing, man. Thank you. I'm so happy I met you. <laughs> Me too. I definitely want to continue our conversation even off camera because um, it's so much richness that you have shared so far. But I don't want to miss the opportunity for you to really talk about your story because mm. I think it's a powerful story that mm. a lot of people can relate to. And it can That's also, show. yeah, <laughs> we can sow some seeds back into 
our community by sharing our stories. And I think yeah. that's really powerful. That really makes change mm. if we share stories. So okay. take us back to federal prison. Yeah, so um, I graduated high school in 95. Um, so you know, 95 was the golden age of like gangster rap yeah. and hip-hop. So literally like as an 18-year-old, soundtrack to my life was all eyes on me. Yeah. I mean, and um, so I graduated high school, and like I said, I had one foot in sports and then one foot in the streets, um, playing junior college football, but when football season over, you got the spring, got the summer, so I was wilding out, and um, you know, we, you know, I say we, me and a couple of my homeboys from the neighborhood, our way mm -hmm. of getting money, we started off like, you know, dope boys on the street, but um, I think at that was the first type of like spark where I was thinking about my people and, and, and I was feeling condemned, like I'm selling crack to my own people. And all mm -hmm. of crackheads was black, but I'm in, the, you know, my own community trying to make money selling poison. And that got to yeah, me, right? Yeah. And I didn't go do something virtuous. I started robbing. I thought like, okay, this is a lesser of two evils. Yeah. I'd rather rob some rich folks than, mm -hmm. you know, it was like a disillusioned black Robin Hood, you know what right. I mean? I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna stop serving poison to my people and I'm gonna, I'm gonna rob some uh, rich white folks. And uh, that was our hustle. And just coming out of our neighborhood, it was like you either made your money in sports, you made your money in entertainment, or you made your money selling dope or doing robberies. Mm. Those were kind of like the four things. I didn't see no black businessmen, entrepreneurs. That yeah. I saw on TV, movies, yeah, Boomerang, yeah, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Eddie Murphy, I saw that, I wanted to be like that, yes. but I didn't see that in real life. I didn't think that was a real avenue. So um, that summer of uh, 96, um, you know, after I graduated, was probably one of the most wild years of my life it was like a whole life in three months yeah. I mean we was on one and so we went on a robbery spree you know mm. probably like over 50 robberies around LA Orange County the IE I mean we was robbing wow. everything from uh Walmarts Targets jewelry stores mm. uh hospital like we in the parking hospital. lot where the doctor parking lot was oh, like getting Lord. the doctor like yeah um, and I, I just, you know, I, I knew that was no future, you know what I mean? And, and we didn't, uh, shoot anybody or pistol whip anybody, but we scared the shit out of a lot yeah. of people, right? You know, they don't know that they scared for their life. Um, and part of my language. And so that was eating at me. I knew like, you know what? We need to stop doing this, bro. There gotta mm -hmm. be something else. And, um, it kind of evolved where there was this thought about, you know what? banks man who nobody cares about a bank you know mm -hmm. that's that's like corporate america you know what i mean it's not it's not personal and so we had this idea that we're gonna go federal we're gonna go big and so it was the august uh, 1996 and uh we was plotting on the right bank that we thought and it ended up being a hot bank we didn't know in vallejo that had been robbed by um the romper room and like yeah. so Vallejo had a lot of robbery boys um and we didn't know that was a hot bank and uh so they had plain clothes undercover cops stationed wow. at that bank all the time because they was getting robbed so much it was like right off the freeway reason why I got robbed so much is because the position of it was yeah. had a perfect getaway route we from the IE visiting up in the bay we didn't know 
At yeah, this time, yeah. like, you know, this is what happened. When you start doing crimes and getting away with it, you get lazy. You get, you know, we're going to keep mm-hmm. doing it. We get away with it. And so um, it was it ended up being a good thing meant to happen. You know, we shouldn't have kept getting away with it. Yeah. And so uh, I remember um, when I went to hit the door with the bag full of money and, like, to make my getaway. And we had only been in there less than 90 seconds. That was kind of our routine, like, in yeah. 90 seconds. And they had two cops at the door with their guns drawn waiting. As soon as oh. I turned the corner, I was like, it shocked me. And I'm like, get out, get out. And I'm like looking around like, you know, what's my move? What's my move? Yeah. I got one gun. I got a gun in my hand, a bag. Like, they could have blew me away, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and then I hear boom, boom. And so now I hit the ground, boom. I'm thinking that shot at me yeah. because I didn't get down fast enough. My homeboy, and this was a bank inside of a grocery store. So yeah. we was robbing the bank and the grocery, the grocery tellers. Like, we was getting greedy. Like, you know what I mean? Two for one. He hitting all the check stands. And then so he seen what's going on. He busting at them. And then um, I hit the ground. I didn't know where I was coming from. And then they got on top of me, army of cops. And, you know, that was when I got locked up. They got away. Yeah. And uh, that was my journey of, of getting locked up. And I was in, uh, before I went to trial and all that, I went to federal prison, the, mm-hmm. the federal holdover. Uh, where they kept me for nine months, we were locked down 22 hours a day. 22? In a high-rise kind of jail. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, you got one hour twice a day of outside your cell. So I read a lot. Oh, yeah. You was only allowed five books, uh, and, and uh, it could be five books or magazines, right? So five reading mm-hmm. materials and uh, a writing pad and pencil. You couldn't. You didn't have a radio Ooh. in your cell, no TV. And... Um, where we was at was a uh, uh, federal building in downtown Sacramento, and our wreck was on the side of the building, mm-hmm. like 14 stories up, uh, facing away from the sun. So I didn't see the sun for nine months oh because my the God. sun was coming over the building. So we was in the shadow of the yeah. building. Yeah, yeah, it was that was crazy. Um, where I was locked up in the federal holdover was when uh, Unabomber got locked up. So he was, Ooh. you know, in a high separate yeah, yeah. area, but. So that 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 was the beginning of like my real kind of um, journey on like wisdom and like how did I get here yeah. and like, you know reading and I became very hungry on reading and studying uh, the Bible. My celly was this Armenian Christian uh, that was in there for racketeering on the Armenian Russian mafia. So he barely even Whoa, spoke English. What? Yeah, it was it was crazy. <laughs> Um, but Armenia, I don't know if you know them, that's where Mount Ararat is, where they think they know his Ark. Yeah. And so they're one of the first uh, countries in history that declared Christianity as uh, their religion, their national yeah. religion. So they've been in holy wars of Muslim countries mm-hmm. since you know the 300s. That said, usually a Christian out of there got a diehard belief, you know what yeah. I mean, really devote. But because of that whole mafia tie, it reminded me of, like, what you saw in Godfather and all yes. that. It was, like, you know, criminal, but still, <laughs> like, you know, I love God. Right. <laughs> um, but no, it was, so we didn't, you know, have a lot of words that we could say. We did a lot of, like, pantomiming and to try yeah, to speak yeah, to yeah. each other. But so he would point to scriptures in his book, which I could Come go on. in my Bible. And, the, you know, that time in, in there with him gave me a chance to break away from religion Mm-hmm. Right in the churches and and what has been kind of heaped up wrong that I know 
from tradition culturally and just get more of a sense pure scripture right yeah um and that really changed the dynamic of my life because so then when i went to the actual prison yard i was uh 19 i was the young it was 2000 it was terminal island not too far over here a oh lot yeah of people don't yeah, know yeah there's a federal prison in the la harbor um mm-hmm. that's been there since like the 1930s it's old Ooh, yeah. yeah al capone was there like it's it's old so i was um the youngest of 2000 prisoners on that prison yard at 19 wow. and uh, i had thankfully i had some uh, old heads take me under their wing yeah and like hey youngster you're gonna get out like they knew Turn i had like a seven year around. yeah so they immediately got me to start thinking about um you know, you need to do this time. Don't let this time do you. Yeah. So what did that mean? Get you a routine, a positive routine. You know, work out on a regular basis. Uh, read every day. You know, mm. stay out of the you know weeds of these folks. You know, stay in your lane. Yeah. Don't get caught up in nothing like that. You know, p- play a sport in here. So I took that advice. I learned chess. Um, joined the little sports teams okay. in there. Took the college courses. So some of the f- uh, – I got – a master's degree now and some of the credits that went towards my bachelor's you know that you need to get a master's yeah were earned in prison so i was taking That's college amazing. courses in prison and this life changed man your yeah. whole life changed and you know now you built this amazing company and you are doing amazing work in your community i gotta give miss flowers again y'all <laughs> because <laughs> i know i love it i love it and we gonna have to do a part two because I have to definitely go yeah, deeper into his story. Prison for life. Sure. There's a whole industry in yeah. prison that yeah, uh, it corporate is. Corpor- corporations take advantage of that labor. So we could talk about that. We could talk about like the Ooh. whole recidivism and things oh, that yeah. set them up for failure. I beat that. The 97% rate of recidivism. Recidivism is going back to jail once mm, you get released. Come on, Jesus. I never went back. Um, yeah, beautiful. Glory to God. Um, but part of that was education. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So Mm -hmm. before we go, we definitely want to make sure that everyone knows to get in touch with you Mm. and your brand. Um, Just give them your ats, your website, everything. At Aqua Equity on IG. Mm -hmm. Um, You can email us, uh, goodworks at aquaequitywater.com. That's how you can email us a message. Uh, but yeah, we really do try to communicate what's going on with the brand through through our IG, uh, our website, mm-hmm. AquaEquityWater.com. Uh, so we're getting ready to update that on the things we've been doing yes. um, this year and towards the back end of last year, and just that's to let you know the support that you give Aqua Equity. It, it really does make an impact in in so many ways, um, and our big milestone that we're. Uh, working towards that we can't wait to share uh, with all you is to have our bottling facility in South Central LA where we have open hiring and hire folks uh, that are touching the Aqua Equity brand and that'll allow us to do more donations and have a beverage incubator. So there's the sky's the limit that we can do um, when we have this bottling facility. So that's what we're working towards now and we hope to be uh, cutting that ribbon the beginning of next year, January, February. So that's amazing. Yeah, thank you. Y'all, please follow Ryan. Please follow Aqua Equity. And if you want to follow me, follow yes. me at I am Aisha. Follow the show and share the show. Like the show. Watch the show. Listen to the show on all streaming platforms at Keys of the Culture Podcast. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, I'll see you soon. Hey, Swift, wake up, bro.